This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Our new book, Highs, Lows and Decanios, is now on general sale just in time for Christmas. Myself, ex and West Hamway writer Sid Lambert relived the madness of being a West Ham fan in the 90s. It was a decade where football changed forever thanks to the Premier League. But what didn't change was the agony and ecstasy of life at Upton Park. In Highs, Lows and Decanios, we cover everything. The managerial madness of Macari, Bonds and Redknapp. And we also remember the colourful cast of characters who played in Claret and Blue, like Julian D. Marco Bugas, Florin Radichoyu, and of course, the one and only Paolo Di Canio. It's all there in our new book. So if you want some 90s nostalgia this Christmas, go to thewestamway.com forward slash shop and get your copy of Highs, Lows and Di Canios today. You're listening to the West Amway podcast with Dave and X. Oi, oi! Hello and welcome to the West Hamway podcast with myself Dave Walker and XWHU employee. This week we talk about England's exit from the World Cup, a shocking referee, whether Kane should have taken that second penalty, an overall rating for Dex World Cup and whether Southgate should stay on as manager before talking about West Ham, getting news from X and answering questions from patrons of the West Hamway. England are out of the World Cup, losing to the current champions, France, 2-1 in the quarterfinal. How do you feel about it? Um, gutted, as uh, probably everyone is listening to this show. Um, I thought we had a chance. I thought we played really well against them and shouldn't have really won the game. Obviously, the penalty miss is stating the obvious, but it's crucial. And, um, yeah, it's just disappointing when you know that we would have been playing Morocco um, next round, you would have fancied your chances of, of us doing that. And then the final would have been Argentina or Croatia. And, you know, whilst Croatia have beaten us before, um, and as have Argentina in previous tournaments, I, I still feel we would have a chance to get them against them. So it's a definite opportunity missed, that's for sure. 
it was gutting. And I think you're spot on. It was an opportunity missed because I, I said previously that I think the winner of England, France will go on to win the competition. And like you say, you know, with some of the big boys gone as well, Germany, Spain, Brazil, um, it was gutting, wasn't it? Um, but look, I, I agree with you in terms of the performance. I don't think there was much more we could have done. France are a quality side and, and we did give them a good game. But playing devil's advocate X, once again, it does raise concerns over the fact that we just never seem to be able to beat an elite nation in the knockout stages, do we? Yeah, it is frustrating. I mean, when you look at the teams we've beaten in um, the last few tournaments, none of them, you know, are major results. The Germany one, perhaps a side in the last Euros, but... You know, look at them, they went out in the first stage. It's so well, uh, oh, were they even that good in that period of time? It's hard to tell. I mean, the way to look at it is it, it is frustrating that we're losing to these teams, but then, but oh, we're not beating the big teams, sorry. But then that said, you know, Spain lost to, to Morocco and Brazil lost to Cameroon. I know they didn't have their full strength team out in that game, but they did. Um, Japan beat. Germany was it like South Korea beat someone you know they all all these countries even um even Argentina lost to Saudi Arabia so mm. all these big teams have lost to smaller teams as well so you can look at it both ways but it, but it is frustrating we haven't beaten a big team at a tournament um I mean, we got close against France. I would have said we're the better side. I think the referee was very dodgy. You know, oh, not many. if he'd given that foul against Saka for their, would they have scored their first goal? I know it's got a long way down the pitch, and it's a you know decent period of time between them. But really, it should have been given. Then there was that foul on Kane that, that was probably outside the box, but still wasn't given. Lots of niggling fouls by their players, um, and I think. I think it was a, a really frustrating day. It's very hard to to know whether changing the manager is the right thing to do or not because, you know, you look at the previous histories in tournaments of English uh, England teams and people say this is the best side we've ever had. I don't think it is. I think the best side we ever had was when we had the 2002-2006 era when, you know, when you had Ashley Cole, who was the, the best left-back in the world at the time, John Terry, Sol Campbell, Rio Ferdinand, Lampard, Gerrard, Scholes, Beckham, Owen, Rooney, you know, that, I think that was the golden era. This era is good. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of quality players in that in that team, but as you know, it's, I would have said they're the greatest England team we've had recently. And Southgate does do well in bringing the players together. They all seem to like him, and I think he speaks well in the media, like protecting them and, and putting the blame on himself and stuff. Ch- is changing the manager the right thing to do? I don't know. It's really hard to say. Again, it would depend on alternatives out there, but. Um, yeah, it's just frustrating, isn't it? Like, you know, you think as a West Ham fan and as an England fan, are we ever going to win anything in our lifetime? And as the clock ticks by, those chances get less likely. Yeah. I mean, it was, I think it was Rio Ferdinand as well that said uh, that this is the best England team he's ever seen in his lifetime. And obviously he played in some great ones. I, I think when it comes to the England team, he's right. And by team, I mean that togetherness and that camaraderie and leaving your egos at the door. Uh, and obviously it is littered with quality as well. What also impresses me about the the side and the squad is the average age across the group as well. And I, I like that philosophy. It's almost like the sort of German philosophy of keeping everyone together for a number of years. So they have that familiarity going forward. Um, but what really annoys me actually, and, and, and you touched upon it, some of the fantastic England teams we've had over the years it really really pisses me off that 
they underachieved because of their egos, I think. I mean, it's, it's it's often been said that the reason we didn't win trophies is because there were too many clicks in the dressing room and your Chelsea's wouldn't talk to your Arsenal's and your Arsenal's wouldn't talk to your Man United's and they, you didn't have that team spirit and camaraderie. And you just think if you would have left the egos at the door and had the spirit and camaraderie that this group have got, how many tournaments would we have would we have won X? Because we were certainly good enough, weren't we, when you look at yeah. some of those teams over the yeah. years. Yeah, definitely. And I think we should have done a lot more than we did. I mean, what was the best we got out of that era from memory? I don't know. Was it a quarterfinal? Yeah. It was probably 2006 quarterfinal, 2002 yeah. quarterfinal. And you know, that's not good enough. And then, no. to be fair, you know, this you could arguably say that about this bunch of lads as well. But France are the team. I think we'll win it. I think it'll be an Argentina-France final. And then it's just going to be about Messi and... Um, Mbappe, isn't it? And mm. so he's going to have the most impact out of those two. And on the whole, France's squad's probably better than Argentina's. Um, when you look at the first 11, um, and so, yeah, it's, it's frustrating. It really is. And you, you feel like, you know, there's all there's people out there calling for Southgate's head. And I'm kind of a bit neutral at the moment. I can't make up my mind. It's the same with, same with Moyes, really, you know. But I'm, I'm more so giving Moyes a bit more time. And I, and I kind of think Southgate, almost like what you said with these players he's built them up from a young age he's bringing them through to um to you know like another tournament maybe in the euros when they would have been together a number of years those players won't be um past their best you know you, lots of them you know, Declan, Saka, Foden you know there's loads of them Bellingham you go through that starting 11 most of them will be actually at a better age in terms of their peak than they are in this tournament and if if, if they like Southgate as much as I read that they do and they say they do then I think maybe one more tournament, maybe to see see what happens in the Euros, and then if it, if he can't do it, then I think four tournaments is enough to to say that's it, time to go. Mm, yeah, I don't think you can argue with that. To be honest, and again, it's the age old question, isn't it? Of if he goes, who comes in? Exactly. That's a massive factor as well. And I, I, I don't have the answer to that question, that's for sure. But no. I, I, one thing that really surprised me that I didn't know that I heard during the commentary is that Giroud is actually France's all-time leading goal scorer. Can you believe that? Yeah, no, it seems about I mean, you've got to think about it. He's been around for years. Yeah, you know, actually, we forget yeah, that. Yeah, like he was playing for Arsenal like the start of the 2000, what must be about 2012, was it? Something like that. So he's been around for a long, long time. And I think, um, I think it's, um, a credit to him and he you know like when he was at Arsenal and West Ham a link with him I can, I, I can clearly remember West Ham fans saying oh no why would we want him he's a, he's a failure and stuff and just sort mm. of sums up a lot of the delusional fans out there if a player is playing for Arsenal Chelsea AC Milan the, the French national side they've got to be good enough to play for West Ham and he's proven it I mean a, a great goal as well like he did really well to get into the position he did alright it wasn't the cleanest of finishing but he's always in the right position at the right time, um, and he and he gets overshadowed by other French players, um, Mbappe of this era, um, Pogba, Henri, the players like that sort of take his even Pie, I guess, kind of take like the limelight a bit more, and he goes about doing his job um, steadily, and and is now their top scorer. And fair play to him, he's always he's been a good servant to to English football with those two clubs, and obviously for the French national team as well. Mm. Well, talking of top scorers, I think Harry Kane is now one away 
from becoming England's all-time leading goal scorer. I think he's level with Wayne Rooney now. And if he would have scored that second penalty, he would have clinched it. Um, should he have taken the second penalty? And before you answer this, of course, we have the benefit of hindsight. But if there is one goalkeeper on the planet that is going to have half a chance of saving a Harry Kane penalty, it's going to be Lloris, isn't it? The yeah. amount of times they must face each other on a training pitch is, is insane. So whilst I get that he took the first one, should he have taken the second one? I it's know we've tr- got the benefit of hindsight, but should yeah. he? It's a tricky one, isn't it? Because like you say, it's hard to not use the benefit of hindsight. And, and that uh, uh, the female presenter, what's her name? Maluku or something like that. She made that point, didn't she, in the, in the, in the summary that she didn't think he should have either. Um, oh, right. Because, I didn't watch the post. Yeah, um, because yeah, of, of that reason. And yeah. It's it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because he is your set penalty taker, and, and and if you'd given it to someone else and they'd missed, you know, full well, everyone would turn around and said, "Why did you not let Kane take it? He already scored one." So it is it is definitely the benefit of hindsight, but there must be something in it. It's not a coincidence that you know if you're facing your club teammate, as you say, who would have seen those goals and those penalties like numerous numerous times for both both seen him taking him taking them for the team he's playing for and obviously taking against him in practice and, and in training matches and stuff. So it, it does make you think maybe it would have been better letting a second person take it. Who that second person would have been is the question because obviously yeah. Kane's the, the only recognised forward on that pitch and when you go through the team, is there a recognised penalty taker for another club there? You know, uh, Saka obviously missed one in the last Euros. Rashford missed one in the last Euros. I can't remember who was on the pitch at the time out of those two. Um, Foden, has he taken many for Man City? Then you go to Bellingham. Uh, he, he, I don't know what he's probably taking. It's like Declan's obviously very inconsistent. And then you go back to the defenders. And you've got Carl Walker, I don't recall taking many penalties. Luke Shaw, I don't remember taking penalties. And then you've got Maguire and Stones. So were the options actually there for someone else to take it? I'm not sure. No, that's very true. And you make a good point. And also, let's not forget that you know Harry Kane is a senior player. To put a penalty of that magnitude on one of the younger lads in itself would carry risks as well, wouldn't it? So, yeah, no, I, I can totally understand that. I've got to go back to the referee because it was just... It was just incredible. And I've got to read this out as well, because I don't know if you're aware of this, but former Premier League referee Dermot Gallagher says that uh, Opa Meccano did foul Saka in the build-up to France's first goal uh, and that the referee didn't perform to the standard expected in a quarter-final of a World Cup. And apparently VAR did look at it and said that there wasn't enough contact for a foul to be given. I mean, it, it was piss poor. And again, X, it's almost becoming boring now. We're talking about the inconsistencies of the officials again. It was, it was a ridiculous decision. Everyone can see it was a foul in normal play, let alone to then go to um, VAR and still not give it as a foul. And the same for the Harry Kane one. And, you know, even the, the what was it the second penalty was it had to go to, to VAR. And it's just it's just ridiculous how poor the, the standard of, of refereeing is really. You know, at least, I guess, one consolation is it looks like it's not just um restricted to the Premier League. It seems like it's everywhere that the um that the quality of refereeing is that bad. But um it's um it's just de- depressing really that they, they, this day and age it's still it's still a problem. You know, like you would have thought with the advancements of technology, the advancements of like 
you know, the, a bit like the fact that refereeing now is a, a well-paid job. There's analysts that look into the performances. There's all sorts of greater depth given to um, to refereeing now than there ever has been. And I don't think the standard of refereeing has improved at all. And the problem is the game is getting a lot, lot quicker. Um, and so the referees need to have pace almost as well to be able to keep up with the state, the, the, the play. If it's moving that quickly and, and you look at a lot of the referees, they're still your stereotypical age, as in they're probably, a lot of them are older than me and you. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I know they have to do fitness tests as part of their um, protocols, but... Uh, are they really up to the, the standard physically, let alone mentally, of of refereeing these like professional athletes that that work on their fitness and their stamina pretty much every day of their lives, and they've got to sort of go set on the pitch. And yes, they don't have to run as much as them, in so and don't have to reach the speeds of them. They've still got to cover a decent ground, um, and whether they're physically up to it, I don't know. I mean, you know, I don't know that guy that ref the England game until I saw him in in that match. So I can't comment on his refereeing standards, but from what I'm aware, he's a ref in Brazil. Um, you know, I think he was a Brazilian ref, only ref in the Brazilian league and, and the Libertadores, which is their like Champions League equivalent. But it's a different game of football in Brazil to what it is. England versus France, you know, England versus France is going to be a lot more pacey, a lot more physical than the Brazilian league, where, yes, you get horrific challenges, but you also get a load of skill as well. So it's a different league. And, of course, you couldn't have an English or a French ref refing an England free France game because of bias, but maybe for these sorts of games, you have to only have top league elite referees doing it. And even then, I'm not sure they're still up to the standard that's required. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. No, I know. I mean, there are enough referees from enough nations to, to have been able to come up with a better alternative than him. I mean, how has he warranted that, that call-up? I mean, it's a massive, massive honour to referee a, a, a World Cup quarter-final and they've pulled this pleb out of the fucking bushes. I, I don't know. I don't know what the the thought process was. I mean, I don't even think you should have to be from a nation that's part of the World Cup to referee in it, because then you really do open it up across the world. I mean, it's just incredible, um, absolutely incredible. Um, but I mean, look, there's nothing that can be done about it now. So why dwell on it? But that was incredibly disappointing to say the least. How would you rate Dex World Cup out of ten? I'd say eight probably. Um, yeah. I think I think he's been very solid. I thought he played very well against France. 
Ermavoy, who's probably uh, one of our best players, him and Saka, I would say. I um, don't know why Southgate took Saka off, because he had the run of them and was creating opportunities. Obviously, got the penalty and was creating other things, and I wouldn't have taken him off, but he did. I would have said they were the two best players in that game, and he's done exactly what his job is. I mean, obviously, we conceded goals against France, but prior to that, we conceded two soft ones to, against um, Iran towards the end three clean sheets after that which is what his role is his role is to protect the defence and then against France I thought they did a great job in keeping Mbappe relatively quiet and keeping some of their other players quiet I wouldn't say he hit sensational levels he's not going to probably be considered for the the World Cup 11 team I wouldn't have thought but he would have been you know not not far off that and out of England's squad you know certainly in the top Three, I would say, of England performers, um, and that's not being biased. He was, and so yeah, an eight out of ten seems right. Mm. Decent experience for Deck. I know he's going to be hurting like everyone, but uh, it just all adds to your character, doesn't it? And your experience. And if you look at what you achieved at the Euros and now at World Cup, he's just cementing himself, if not already, as an elite player. And uh, it's you know, twenty three, mate. I mean, uh, mate, it's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it'd be twenty four in January. I think January the fourteenth, maybe something like that. But he's not. He's not far off. Um, being 24 but yeah it's still 23 so mm. by the time of the next euros which will obviously be in a year and a half now won't it so that will that will be um he'll be uh well like 24 25 um going into that one um and so you know he um he, that's peak age then next world cup he'll be 27 you know mm. then, then after that 30 29 31 so he's got at least four Decent tournaments left in him. Um, so the first two got to a final against Italy, was wrongly taken off in the Euros, and now it's got to a quarter final against France. So for him, it's massive experience. And then by the time, I hate to say it, but by the time he we reach the next tournament, maybe certainly in the next World Cup, he'll be playing either played in the Champions League by then as well. So he'll be um he'll be a phenomenal player. Mm, yeah, absolutely, already is. Uh, well, with England out of the competition now, our attention turns to West Ham again, and uh, we are straight in at the deep end with an away trip to Arsenal on Boxing Day. Let's find out a little bit more about our next opponents. Arsenal are famous for their North London rivalry with Tottenham, but actually originate from Woolwich in the south of London and used to play their games in Plumstead. In 1893, they were the first southern team to join the Football League. Arsenal have never been relegated. They have been in the top flight of English football since 1919. They are given the name Arsenal and the nickname the Gunners because they were formed by a group of cannon makers at the Woolwich Arsenal in 1886. In 1993, Arsenal became the first club to win the League Cup and the FA Cup in the same year. Arsene Wenger was the first foreign manager to lift the Premier League title when they won it in 1998. Arsenal hold the record for consecutive clean sheets in the Champions League. Back in 2006, when they reached the final, they managed 10 games and 995 minutes without conceding the goal. In 2004, Arsenal did what no team had done in 115 years and went the entire season undefeated. The squad was subsequently called the Invincibles. Finally, their history might be an impressive one, but their fans are notoriously shy with Highbury being renamed Library and rumours that artificial crowd noise is used at the Emirates to try and generate an atmosphere. Can we shock a few people and get something there, Rex? Um, it's, it's quite hard to predict because obviously um, we've obviously had the break that we've had, so you don't know how that's affected both sides. You know, Arsenal were flying before the break, but they've... Um, 
you know, they've had time off now. I think Jesus is injured, which is good for us because, you know, he's their, their main forward. Um, and Ben White has obviously been sent home from the World Cup. It's debatable what the reason actually was, and there doesn't seem to be a clear answer, but people have said for a fallout with the um, coaches. So you, don't, so you don't know how they've been affected. And for us, hopefully... Um, Declan will come back and be wanting to prove um, points to the fans. Gerard Bowen will hit a bit of form and and it will be a different side. And Moyes has had the last, you know, four weeks to get to get things in place. I do believe they've been working heavily on their attacking play. Um, I think it might have even been Billy McKinley that's confirmed that. And I, I know we're going to talk about it a bit later, but I went to the Cambridge game and I watched the Powell uh, Ammo game. And um, Udinese. Udinese. Why did I say Palermo? That's who we played in. That's who we played in. I couldn't even say it. I didn't like to say Udinese. We played Palermo in 2005. I think it's because they're in the same colours. Yeah, Udinese. That's the one with the multicoloured seats around the ground. Um, yeah, uh, I watched that game and um, I thought we played better going forward in both those games. Obviously, it's hard to judge friendly and one against Cambridge, but I thought we did look better, particularly Bowen. Um, and so it's hard to call. We're just going to go to that game with the attitude of let's just attack them and see what we can get out of this. Because if we go there and try and defend and close out the game, as we've tried to do at Liverpool and Manchester United and teams like that, it doesn't work. Chelsea, etc. We've lost all of those games. Yes, all of them are close. We shouldn't have lost them, but we did. Um, so we're going to try a different tactic against Arsenal. And I think if we go at Arsenal from the start, Boxing Day games are always a little bit harder to predict as well. Mm. Um, so I think we're just going to go out and attack them from the very start and just see what happens. And you never know, stranger things have happened. Mm. Well, you ticked off another stadium when you went to Cambridge. What did you think of the gaff? <laughs> not great to be honest with you. Yeah, really 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 not good um, we got there a bit early so we were waiting outside and even opened the turnstiles to about 45 minutes before kickoff, which was random um, thank god West Ham fans turned up because it was a testimonial for one of Cambridge's players who's apparently a West Ham fan and there was barely anyone there had it not been for West Ham he'd probably end up losing money on the cost of electricity and stewards <laughs> so, so it's, a, it's a good job that West Ham did turn up um, and um, yeah it, it, it was a bit of a weird stadium one of the sides was complete standing you know the whole width of the whole length of the, the pitch the other side was a stand that I don't think has probably been developed since God knows when the 1920s maybe the stadium behind the goal opposite to us was very bizarre the one we were in was acceptable um, but not nothing spectacular so and it's weird because obviously I've been to Leighton Orient Leighton Orient's grounds a million times better I've been to Colchester Colchester grounds a million times better you know Notts County's better I mean even I'd probably go as far as to say that Kidderminster's on par with it and um, really you know, yeah so it's a really poor ground um, for yeah it's just wants to tick it off to be honest with you because as we said on the Mad Dog Bites podcast we haven't played them since 1993 so mm. I didn't know when the next opportunity was to to go to Cambridge so that's um, yeah another one ticked off it was it was weird like you know I associate Cambridge being a, re- a really nice like city but um, the bit near the ground isn't particularly great and got to park right next to the stadium which you never get to do at a, a bigger size club so um, yeah good experience I'm glad I went I'm glad I ticked it off but certainly not one of the best stadiums I've been to in my lifetime. 
Yeah. But generally speaking, across the two friendlies, the boys are looking all right. Any standouts? Yeah, yeah, I thought so. I thought Bowen played well in both games. He scored against Cambridge and he set um, one up for Antonio against uh, Udinese. Um, I thought Ben Rama. Ben Rama, I think, got man of the match on the um, on the poll on um, on the uh, main website. And I think that's probably fair. I think he probably was the man of the match. So, yeah, Ben Rama's looking good. Ben Rama has to start. Against Arsenal, he's our most attacking, creative player by a long way. Um, mm. I thought he looked good. Um, I thought um, Compierre, him, um, again, looked good against Cambridge. I thought he looked um, looked decent when he came on. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just a, a d- decent performance against Cambridge. Hard to judge, obviously, when it's a testimonial and there's loads of subs and it's against a lower league team. But I thought they played well against Udinese, definitely, certainly in the second half. Um, I thought it was a strong performance. So, yeah, I think they can take a bit of confidence from it. And, you know, if we go to Fulham, you know, the result doesn't really matter too much. But if we can put in a decent performance against Fulham and get get a win there then you can't really ask so much more and as I said a bit earlier I think it's the attacking play that's been the most the most notable thing it seems that 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 um is the thing that they've been working on and that's the thing that stood out and you know hard to judge the defense because Zuma wasn't playing um Aguerd wasn't playing Cresswell went off very early in the game against Cambridge um, so you know it wasn't the sort of defence Kerra wasn't there either so it wasn't the sort of defence you'd expect to play um, against Arsenal even though they may have to because of injuries but it, it wouldn't be your first choice so yeah I, I think the attacking um, looked, looked good and you know as I said hard to take much from friendlies but if you want to take anything then there'd be positives yeah Mm. Yeah, if nothing else for their confidence as well. I mean, the likes of Jared Bowen, I mean, he's he's really got to start turning up now and Ben Rama's got to be playing week after week, in my opinion. He needs that steady run of games. And I make you right, you know, in the absence of Jared Bowen, especially uh, with his form, um, he's our most creative player. I think you've got to get him on the ball at every single opportunity. And then the likes of Paqueta has got to announce himself at West Ham. And then we've got to play to Skamaka's strengths. And I, I just, I don't know, I just hope that, something at the club has turned around in this uh, World Cup break because we need it to. And, and you know, I'd love Moise to turn this around. I really, really would. But I am also getting a little bit bored of the excuses now. But, you know, he's been backed. He's got a good, solid squad of players there. And whilst it's not the most ideal game to return to, you know, if our big players are playing and uh, they find some form, then who knows? Stranger things have happened. We can nick something there, I think. But it all depends on... Uh, how we turn up on a day? When would you give Moyes to? You know, you, what like looking at the fixtures that are coming up. What what period? At what period is it where you say, right, this is enough now? You you've got to go. I know it sounds like I'm sitting on the fence with this question, but the problem that I've got is who is going to come in. That is the problem. I know it's cliche. But I, I don't know if we if we can't attract what our class as an elite level manager, whether that's Pochettino or Tuchel, for example. I, I don't know who could come in and do a better job at this stage because, as I've said in the previous podcast, if one of those managers I've just mentioned was available now, I'd sack him now. And and I know that sounds terrible. And I do genuinely love David Moyes, but I also genuinely in my heart of hearts believe that he has taken us as far as he is, he can take us now. So I would push the button now if there was a solid option. But if there isn't, 
then unless we were genuinely, genuinely threatened by relegation in terms of there's not many games left and we are in a rut and going down is a serious possibility, I probably would give him the season. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. As I say, I don't think Pochettino will take the job. I don't think Tuchel will take the job. There's been links, as I've been saying for months now, um, there's been links in the papers this morning with Tuchel and the England job if Southgate does step down. Um, so, yeah, would you take Southgate? Do you know, I don't think I would, X. No, I don't think I would either, which is weird, because I'm obviously backing him for England, but I yeah. think it's a, it's a different form of management, international mm. to, to club, and I think, I think he's very good at getting them all together and getting them in the, in their sort of camps and bringing all the lads together. I don't know if he'd be able to do that on a day-to-day basis, and almost if he's maybe too nice, um, and he wouldn't be able to deal with, like, you, you, when you need to get tough and get, a bit like Billich, get tough and strict with players. I'm not sure I can see him doing that. And also, his club record beforehand, you know, it's not awful, but it's not great, is it? Isn't the CV at mm. club level's not amazing? So, um, no. yeah, I'm not I'm not sure I would either. Mm. Interesting, though. Hopefully, this kind of conversation will stop. January's a massive month for him. I mean, I'm obviously, let's just, just take Arsenal out of the equation. Anything from there is a bonus. And, yeah. thir- and the 30th of December is not technically January, but it's close enough. So let's just include that. So the 30th of December, we play Brentford in the league. You've got to hope to get three points then. Then we go away to Leeds. You know, you'd hope to at a minimum get a draw there. Then Brentford in the Cup. Again, a minimum of a draw, take it to replay. If replays are in the cups on his track nowadays, um, Wolves, again, a, a loss there would not be great. You, you'd hope to get three points against Wolves and then Everton at home. And you're definitely looking to get three points then. And then obviously going to February, we got Newcastle away, which is a tough game. So, But those games there, one, two, three, four, um, four game, f- five games, five games that really he's got to be looking to get a, a good points and a cup victory out of those indefinitely. And I think that would be a big month because if we then go into February, we've got Newcastle away, Chelsea at home, Tottenham away, you know, so we've got, it's tough mm. after that. So mm. he's really, got to, he's really mm. got, so he's really got to pick up the points in, um, in January, 100%. He does. So if you just answered your own question then, would you give him till January or till Feb, should I say, if the points don't look as good as they should do? Yeah, I think February is the key for me. I always kind of said that anyway. That's always been my stance. Like, you know, if I don't think we will, but let's just say we lose, you know, 90% of those games or whatever, 75% of those games, we um, would be in a big, big trouble. And then, then you'd have to really question can he turn it around at that point? Um, and I would I would be much more Moyes out, I think, by the end of that month. I'll be I'll know for certain where I stand on Moyes by the end of January, I'm pretty sure. At the moment, I'm just on the side of giving him a bit longer. But I could probably be um persuaded, and I certainly will be persuaded if um if results go um go against us in January. So that I think January is a really important month for him. Yeah, spot on, mate, spot on. Right, it's that time again. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.